welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and Nordic tech organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. I'm your host, Shania Ojukba from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I'm your host. So I'm joined by Mule, who is a senior product designer at the and the founder of UIUXs.com. David, who is the head of UX creation at Volvo. Gerald, who is the design lead at Klarna. And Jonas, who is the CMO at Besido. And we're here to discuss the possibilities of using AI and machine learning for design systems. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some more introductions. So I'd just like to know who you are and what you do. Mule, do you want to kick us off? Yes, of course. Uh, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me for this uh, podcast. I'm, I'm looking forward to speaking to everybody. So yeah, I'm, as you said, I'm Mulay. I'm a senior product designer and the co-founder of UI UXers. Um, it's basically a reverse job board for UI UX and product designers. And the hope there is to put them in the center of their, you know, job seeking journey. Um, I'm currently based in Morocco. I am Moroccan. Uh, I've lived in Sweden for two years and now I came back to my own country. And, uh, yeah, I, I am always like, uh, passionate about human behavior since I was a kid. I always like wanted to understand why people do the things they do. And that pushed me you now into like digging deeper into like human behavior, ethics and inclusivity in design and AI. So I'm very, very excited about this, the topic of our uh, podcast today. Amazing. Great. David, do you want to go next? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm David. I'm based in Stockholm, and I'm uh, heading up UX creation at Volvo Group, as I uh, mentioned. And there I'm, you know, driving UX excellence process methods, tools, uh, competence, and so on. And previously, I've been in Electrolux Group, where I led efforts on systemizing design and user interfaces globally across both software and hardware. And with hardware, I mean, uh, you know, all the aspects of the physical interface, including various modalities from touch displays, knobs, buttons, and so on. And before Electrolux, I worked a lot in uh, consultancy, leading teams and innovation projects across uh, multiple industries, such as train, transportation, health, pharma, and many others. Amazing. Sounds great. Gerald, do you want to go next? Of course. Hello, all. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. Happy to meet all the amazing people here as well. Uh, I'm Gerald. Uh, I'm a design lead for Klarna, a by now pay leader company in the fintech uh, industry. I come from the iGaming industry where I learned how to gamify things and gamify design, which uh, has been amazing. But now I've been mainly working with, uh, as I said, connecting the dots between brand and marketing and uh, user experiences, which is a hard thing to do. And also one of the awesome things that I've been working with has been automating all these processes so you can scale these processes um, in an agile way. But yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Amazing. Great. And Jonas, do you want to tell us a bit about you as well? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, very, very humbled to be on the podcast. My name is Jonas. I'm based in uh, Stockholm. Uh, I work for Besedo. We do content moderation. 
for uh, various companies within dating, marketplaces, shared economy, forums, etc. Uh, I have some experience with AI and machine learning, which we will touch upon in this podcast. I am a designer uh, originally. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm now CMO, but I'm also a passionate storyteller, which I think will tie in nicely with the, the topic that, that we will have uh, before us. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Amazing. Great. Looking forward to getting started with the discussion. So, as usual, I'll work around the room, asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. So, each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So, let's start with Mule. So, the question that he brought to the podcast was, how would AI be unbiased if the data provided is biased? In other words, can we trust that AI will generate an unbiased and inclusive design system? So, Mule, where did this question come from? Uh, so, yeah, uh, this question actually, like, it, it was getting back, like, got back to me in the sense where recently there was, uh, you know, after the Barbie movie, someone uh, called the AI Courier on Twitter. He tweeted like this bunch of pictures of different Barbie dolls in different countries. And there was this pattern where certain countries that has a lot of stigma and stereotype around it, you would find Barbies like holding guns or wearing specific clothing. And then there's also another layer of it where all the Barbies had Western beauty standards to them. So that kind of brings into mind you know, if we are using like image generation and it's like the easiest thing to use right now when it comes to it, you know, editing AI's image generation on websites, would we be doing that? Would we be like enforcing specific stereotypes and biases towards specific countries? So, uh, yeah. And actually after that, I did this thing and I, I looked, uh, you know, on Google, of course. And I was surprised to realize that actually ChatGPT, for instance, have like a statement on their website saying that, ChatGPT is not free from biases or stereotypes, so users should be carefully like reviewing its content. It makes sense. At least they're transparent about that. And also they say uh, the model is skewed through towards uh, Western views and performs best in English. Uh, some steps to prevent harmful content have only been tested in English. So that kind of made me think about that in the sense where, okay, this is the biggest one that is used right now. And it's not just used by English speakers, it's used by everybody in the world. So how can we guarantee that this data that we have that is being used in most um, large language models and AIs would be unbiased in other countries or other like, you know, other contexts. So yeah, that's what actually kind of started me thinking about this topic. Yeah, it's a really good question, really good perspective on it as well. So, Jonas, what do you think about what Mule's presented to the podcast about his question? 
Yeah, it's really, really interesting. And I think more than anything, I think, first of all, we all need to be very mindful that there's no such thing as unbiased AI because it's always based, uh, sort of biased towards whoever created the AI. So starting there, I think that that's a very good starting point. Um, but I, um, just thinking about what you just said, Mule, it's just, there are various things that, that I, I think we have to take into consideration when we do design as humans as well. There's always that sort of almost hilarious thing that you say the the best way to stress test your design is to translate it into German because all your buttons will break. <laughs> that, that's that's usually what happens. So what happens if if we, we just leave things to AI to translate or 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 create um, copy or 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 any any kind of text? Like what what kind of um, text would they choose? Because languages are so rich and you might not say one way in Swedish but in English you say that translates really well but then you have German language or French it's like well this doesn't really suit the, the purpose so I think more than anything I think we do have issues like even in in Western society it's not really straightforward just saying like oh we can just apply AI and it will apply to just a any country or any user. So there are real challenges out there that I, that I think we need to define the role of AI, like clearly define uh, like what aspects of the design process is like best suited for AI and which one should remain under direct human control. So yeah, those are my very long two cents. Yeah, great. Amazing. So has anyone got anything to add after hearing Jonas's take on the question? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like at this point, of course, kind of building on the fact that well, there's no such thing as an unbiased AI. I feel like the AI train kind of left the station <laughs> now, and it's it's really hard to turn it around. Um, and I think it's it's going to be a lot about ensuring that we have the right mechanisms in place to really train and have that human supervision and things like reinforcement learning and, and those kind of mechanisms that would kind of help the AI to evolve and come up with solutions that could be more inclusive. So, um, and then connected to that, if you think about, you know, connecting a certain understanding of the user or a certain target user or kind of with solutions, I think that's going to be also a an interesting connection to make between um, like the input that you give to an AI based on a certain understanding or a target user group or whatever it might be, and the solution that is generated, and then build that mechanism of like, is this the result that I was expecting? So that human supervision in terms of training continuously the AI, and this will not happen overnight. It's going to be a gradual process, right? Um, that's that's my, my take on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to add a more positive note, maybe, because the way I've been seeing it, it's, uh, first of all, it brings almost philosophical questions to the table, like all this AI revolution, which is amazing, I think. And uh, on that level, it's, we are concerned about AI being biased, but we as, as human 
beings are biased, biased by the society that we grow up by the our environment and external influences. So I think it's a very good opportunity, given it's done right with human supervision, maybe, that uh, AI also helps navigate through that in ways that we cannot, we don't have the capacity or we cannot reach as human beings. That meaning that me or someone born in a, in a Western society or in a Western country doesn't have access to, to know and to actually understand the other cultures, meaning not being a, or reaching the level of not being biased. So through AI, I think, or again, it being trained right, you can reach all these new cultures and uh, whatnot in a way that our like our beings are not capable of. So maybe in that way we also combat the biases that we have as human beings, but through through these new technologies, which is amazing. What my concern had been has been or is through biases. It's maybe intentional biases that have been fed or not being fed to an AI system in order to. Uh, I don't know, to serve an agenda or whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think, yes, bias, uh, extremely good question and extremely good concern, but also like who controls the biases or who doesn't control the biases as well and why. Yeah, really interesting point there, Gerald. David, did you want to add something? Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think you know, also kind of turning it around in a positive, from, from on a positive note, I think there's certainly a lot of things that we can benefit from AI when it comes to inclusive design and these kind of things. Uh, maybe there's like a, maybe an accessibility checklist, for example, that the AI could kind of go through and ensure you have all the right parameters for an inclusive design or an accessible design. Another things that comes to mind is ensuring that you have multiple ways of doing the same thing, right? If you have maybe a screen reader or a voice interaction or additional gestures, so kind of designing those ways of interaction, um, this could be something that, uh, you know, an AI could support with, right? Uh, this is less on the bias thing, but, but more on the, um, kind of ex- accessibility and closing design side. Yeah, really interesting there, David. Ule, what do you think about what David and Gerald have just said? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I don't deny that there is a lot of positives about AI, and that's like the scary part, because uh, as humans, uh, there's the saying, our brains are wired to seek certainty, not uncertainty. So we're lazy that way we look for something certain. And the moment that we will start seeing AI as this tool that is like kind of reinforcing our own biases already, and then it's like this feedback loop of you are biased and it is biased, and then you're both biased, and then you build with it like to tie it up to design systems. And like the topic of our podcast is that already we're trying to figure out and like pushing designers to become more ethical designers and more unbiased designers and checking their own biases. But like when you're using AIs and there is this new group of designers that would grow up with AI as their like co-pilot or, you know, assistant or extension of their own, like, you know, design skills, then there is always this kind of risk. And I think my point is really about the need to keep uh, you know, keep being aware of this, like, because we know that we are biased and we know the AI is biased, but we usually forget that when we're in the middle of the process. 
So I like the idea of having a sort of checklist, maybe like a bias checklist or something that we can follow, but also the idea of that, like designers in the future, maybe they would need not just knowing the tools of design or like understanding the users, but also have this like very in-depth bias understanding and like maybe study something like ethics in like, you know, design programs and stuff like that, because it's something that is, that would be necessary, especially that the more AIs that are built or the more tools that, you know, use AI, the more people will take them for granted and really people will actually look or check for biases because it's already validated for them. And yeah. And like another small part of it is like diversity in hiring, because, you know, in order to do that, you need diverse people to can, so they can pick up on the biases that you might not pick up yourself. So yeah, that's, that's a, a general like idea and how, how I think about it. Yeah. Really interesting idea there, Mule. So Jonas, what do you think about what Mule's just said? No, I, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. I, 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 what I do think is really funny that, that we're sitting here and the AI introduction into our world is just just getting started. And we will probably just laugh at all the things that we're saying in five years. We'll be like, oh, I can't believe I said that on a podcast. Like, uh, so stupid. It just goes back to showing like when, when you when you have a like a small child that's been playing with an iPad or something and they go up to the TV screen and they try to swipe things because the expectation is there. And I was just thinking what Mule said about um, a, a, um, sort of a bias checklist or something. I, I, I think we, we, we can't expect too much from people because we're still in, in a process of like getting people to be source critical of things that they see online and i think it's all about educating ourselves into like just opening your minds into that people are different and just taking things travel and read things and, and you will learn things that you don't have to be so dependent on 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 ai or worried about it like it's going to be a really good co-pilot but we need to educate people first and foremost yeah definitely David, what do you think about the idea of having a checklist and also educating people as well? What What's your opinion on this? Yeah, I think uh, that that could work, and I I I, I totally agree with that. That's I think uh, the education piece is important, especially for the you know all the young designers coming into the field and and so on and so forth. And as yeah, kind of infusing and. Also talking about diversity as well that Mule uh, mentioned, like that difference in perspectives and that creative tension that you can you can get from a diverse team that's invaluable. So uh, I can uh, only relate to that as well. Amazing. And Gerald, is there anything that you'd like to add here in all of these ideas? No, I think I agree with everything being said. I mostly agree with we will laugh <laughs> with what we say now in the future. I mean, it's almost a de facto thing, but uh, yeah, checklist. I mean, again, I, I will go on the same point. Like those checklists will be biased checklists. And then we, we, we are in the region of going on the other route of uh, ultra, ultra, I don't know, putting like ultra boundaries to it, which is something that you don't want as well. You want the freedom to be open and to express even dangerous thoughts but in a safe way i don't know how to put it like it's a very very vague uh, approach but 
but yeah, even exploring dangerous ideas keeps you safe from them, sort of, if I can put it. But yeah, it's a very interesting subject with, uh, I believe, zero solutions on the table at the moment, and we can just wait and see how it goes. But yeah. Yeah. And Mule, after hearing everyone's answers to this question, what are your final thoughts on this? Awesome. Yeah, um, I actually like agree with everybody in, in different levels. Of course, it's a very uh, philosophical sort of question or like thing. We definitely cannot guarantee that there will be something unbiased and 100% unbiased. But even in biases, there are harmful ones and really not very harmful like biases. So actually, my thinking is the focus on in the harmful parts of biases where, you know, certain groups might be more marginalized or more like hurt by it, or even like this, like understanding, like when a designer works in a different country or diff- like, well, I don't know, we have this big firms of consulting that like now do consulting in design and digital transformation for different countries. They might be using biased models in a different country and then that country would take it 100% and then it's like, you know, it's a ripple effect in that country's whole system in a way because of not, you know, checking this bias. Because for me, it's like mechanics or like, you know, medical field. You have limitations because it is important and it's a life at the stake. Maybe with design, we don't see it 100% like that. But in the end of the day, we are influencing people and we are influenced by our like environment. And, you know, this like uh, consciousness of it, it's for me, it's what like mostly important is that we need to be conscious about it. We need to keep like educating as, as everybody said, and like education is like a huge part of it, but definitely it's not very impossible because if we limit it to, if we talk about like bias in, in a vacuum, of course, it's very complex and very subjective. And I don't know what even seems to me as something neutral can be something biased to someone else. So of course it's like, you know, very complex in that way. But if we limit it to very like the, the biases that are clearly harmful, harmful, like biased words, like, like stuff like ageism and sexism and uh, like all of those, you know, topics that we're fully aware of the effects in society or different societies, like also the, you know, conscious of, uh, you know, like the particularity of each country. It's both like in AI and in design, it's something that we need to keep in mind, definitely. But I guess uh, it's um, for me, it's like something that we really need to think about how to implement it in education and also how designers can be like, you know, in a team, maybe you need, if you have an international product, maybe you need someone who's like an ethical designer consultant or something like that. So like inventing these new jobs, because at a certain point, it will be their job to create the information that we get from AI. Because for me, it's a little bit of uh, something inevitable that in very like the near future, AI would be such a big thing in every business. And like businesses are already looking forward to see the potential of AI in multiple fields and they're ready to implement it regardless of how it's going to perform as long as it's cost them cheaper than like hiring a person. So I guess like that's ultimately the idea here is that we somehow need to advocate for this, like just individually with our networks or myself with other people, but 
it's for me it's important to kind of keep thinking about this and keep talking about it like having a conversation about it is already a good thing rather than not speaking about it and just you know leaving it be so i guess yeah that's uh, that's that's what i'm kind of thinking about what what's been said yeah no amazing it was a great question and really interesting answers and ideas as well obviously the checklist education i feel like yeah it's definitely worth talking about this topic the question that david brought to the podcast was how might ai be able to positively impact or speed up design systems across different channels and touch points such as platforms display sizes etc and cater for different user groups while still maintaining interaction consistency despite diverging with variations so, David, where did this question come from? Right. Um, so, I don't know uh, if you can relate to this one as well, um, but, you know, when you work with, especially with hardware and physical products or a car or an appliance or, you know, that also has some sort of a connective experience attached to it, uh, whether it's a mobile app or a wearable or a voice assistant, you know, the interaction patterns that you might use can be very different depending on where that interaction takes place. And um, in my previous role, we also had to work with different display sizes and pixel densities and resolutions and aspect ratios and so on from like a premium, let's say a nine inch touch display to a 2.8 non-touch, for example, or even a seven segment display and everything in between. Uh, running across multiple operating systems with different capabilities and so on and so forth. And this was a challenge for us, uh, mostly around how do you create and maintain design systems across so many touch points while still maintaining interaction consistency. Now, taking this even further, even if you take one platform, let's say the web, right, you might have different channels and user groups and someone that, you know, is browse, browsing your marketing website versus someone that is utilizing a data-heavy dashboard where you need to fit a lot of information are very different user groups with different needs and behaviors. Um, so again, the way a, a menu component or a drop-down component is manifested across those channels needs to be quite different. So that's kind of where the, the question comes from. And I'm, I'm curious also to hear from the group um, if if they face this challenge and how do they react? Yeah. Oh, do we ever? Uh, <laughs> if I if I can just yeah. jump yeah, in, David. Um, so uh, just to, because when I when I when I saw uh, in advance your questions that's going to be talked about. One of the things that that really popped into my mind is that I'm I'm right now in the process of teaching my daughter how to drive a car, and it's aside from like shooting my blood pressure through the roof every time we get in the car together. It's also the fact of the matter is that I'm I'm starting thinking about conventions and things that we we take for granted that oh like a remote control plus and minus means like probably volume up volume down and but. When you're sitting in a car and you're you're scared out of your mind that you, you you're driving uh, uh, along other um, cars and your your parent sits next to you, scared out of their mind and be like, oh no, 
that's not the right button or like how do you turn on the the, the wipers and, and uh, what does this button do and uh, like they're just scared that they're gonna press the eject button and get shot out of the car and that just goes to show that we haven't come so far in terms of conventions like there's no convention into what like aside from maybe turning up and turning down the volume uh in on the radio or something like that so i think it, it is a really interesting topic and it, and it can be applied to so many um like surfaces or interfaces if you will like even if it's a touch screen or or is is a physical thing when when uh, i mean try to instruct someone who's never been driving a car how to pump gas at a gas station that it's 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 frustrating beyond belief like you 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 have your face in your palm of your hands going like i i can't believe i'm gonna let this person come out in the real world and, and interact with them through a car i might as well never leave my house so yeah this is it, it is a challenge and i, I i'm I don't have an answer, but but there are several challenges in, in what David brought up. Yeah. Mule, what do you think about David's question and what Jonas has just said? Uh, I mean, one thing that like pops in mind is that uh, we kind of all are a little bit aware that AI is somewhat perfect for pattern recognition. In that sense, it's it's like basically one of its main functions in that in that way, so I can see uh, a way that AI actually can solve this sort of problems or help us at least achieve a point where we can somehow go this like continuous like flow and continuous interface or between physical or digital you know interfaces and physical interfaces if we can call it an interface or uh, touch points, physical touch points, like a remote or, you know, uh, all of those uh, kind of things. So I think AI has the potential for that and to help us with that. Uh, but ultimately it would be something for the human counterpart of that AI to actually decide on implementing and actually testing with other users, etc. So there is always, I mean, the element of testing with people is important because we cannot really 100% rely on those patterns, but it would give us like some really interesting results or things to start from. Because if you're going to start from it as a human, it's going to be really tough to like compile all of those patterns and different buttons and different, you know, uh, touch points that you know from the physical or the digital to the physical. Uh, but AI can do that for you in seconds. So it gives you like a nice starting point that you can grow from uh, and like, you know, get bigger. And one interesting part, actually, I was like, just did now a quick research. I was like curious about uh, where do you put the charger in like uh, electrical cars? Because I was thinking about like, you know, the place where you, you usually fuel it and it's like all the cars have it in the back. But weirdly enough, electrical cars have it in the front. It makes sense because they have like the engine, like the battery in the front. But it's like, it's one of those things where it sometimes you can't really do that like 100%, like, um, how do you call it? Uh, uh, you know, like seamless and something familiar because new objects or new solutions that we built for problems can have new limitations that you cannot just really afford to keep 
something that the user or the person is used to see, and you need to kind of readapt it. So they put it in the front, the charger, but they have the same like door that you use for the fuel. So it's still familiar, but it's not the same position. So, I mean, I don't know what you guys think about this. I know it's like a weird example I'm giving right now, but that's what like it made me think of, to be honest. David, what do you think about what Mulish just said? What's your take on his answer? Right. I mean, yeah, of course you have to take into account. I mean, with electric cars, of course, you know, you have the engine maybe in another place and then you have to take into account those, those parameters. I'm thinking also with AI or kind of training an AI in terms of, okay, these are your constraints. This is the, the touch point that we are designing for. Why don't we just generate like the optimal interaction model that is done within those constraints? And similarly, you know, if you have, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm also thinking like, because when you sell design systems and design system approach, you talk a lot, a lot about like efficiency, maximizing reuse, consistency, those kind of things. And I think AI will very likely impact how we talk about design systems as, you know, here maybe this is a more unpopular opinion, but I think the number of variations will become a non-issue a non in the future if those can be generated with one click, you know. So as long as the parameters in the interaction model or the, the mental model is consistent, um, so I can imagine that maybe in, you know, in, on, in a not very distant future, uh, kind of a way to feed into an AI a certain interaction model that can be quite abstract in nature, right? You input the constraints that you are working within, such as, you know, the interaction modality. Is it knobs? Is it buttons? Is it voice interaction? Is it the size of the display? Things like that. And then basically the AI based on those interaction models that have been provided would generate a component or the content that can be, you know, maybe Figma or maybe code, it may be whatever it might be. But that, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. What are the parameters that you can give to the AI agent in a way that can generate something that is catering for that specific touch point? Um, again, in a way, taking into, into the account kind of the universal model of interaction that should be, let's say, a red thread across all these uh, modalities. That's really interesting. So, Gerald, what's your take on, on what David just said? Exactly. Like uh, what David said, I, I have put some notes down just to like organize my thought. I have also ADHD, so I'm like all over the place constantly. But yeah, uh, I think I've noted down exactly what David said. And um, this is just a personal touch, a touch or a personal thought. Like I believe uh, that design systems, as we know them at the moment, might be obsolete, like in this era, because uh, with the evolution of technology, like AR, VR, and uh, neuroscience and whatnot, the systems that we interact with, I know, or I believe, are no longer going to be surfaces or screens or or whatever we we are used to now. So. Uh, talking about design systems as we have them in mind at the moment, it's, uh, yeah, I don't think 
I don't think we can comprehend how it's going to work. But in my head at the moment, it's just like we need to provide the basis of it. Something like Euclidean mathematics or, or geometry. Like these are the five unbreakable laws of UX or whatever we might call it. And the AI is going to build upon that real time. For example, you are in a car for driving and your interaction at that point might need to be a voice only, whereas the same uh, interface in your in your uh, office might be just like a micro movement or muscle movement of, of your face. So, and all these will build up and build up and, and we'll come to a system that we learn from uh, each of the user's interactions as it comes. I'm really looking forward to this and seeing like how these type of design systems are going to evolve. And it's like, what an amazing era to be alive. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, we need to embrace it and we need to start to understand it just so we can future-proof our work and become like the term designer that might be something more, might come to philosophy, psychology, and how people actually react. And it, it will bring so many levels, but yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to see how this will evolve. Yeah, yeah it definitely uh, sounds like an exciting time. Sorry, Jonas, if you wanted to add no, as well. I'm just as excited as Joe. I, I, I wrote down a few things when I heard David started talking. And I, I one of the things that, that I, because designing things, that one of the worst things that I know of a designer is that when someone tells me, well, you want to A-B test that? I would just love it if AI could help us A-B test things at scale, like just do it and fix it or come up with suggestions like how to improve accessibility. Like why aren't people dialing 911 or whatever the emergency number is uh, in, in your country? Like like these type of accessibility tests and, and, and A-B tests should be like, and it's so it's so interesting what Gerald is saying, like that the design systems that as we know it now, which could be something in I don't know in Figma or is a, I don't know is a physical thing, we will just giggle at this in in five years. We'll be like, oh my god, I can't believe we sat around with with this software or whatever it is. Like I I'm just dying for AI to remove the sort of repetitive things that we dislike as designers and and things that we can't really decide upon oh you really think we should change the color of that button because it performed 0.005 percent better than the other color that that we saw like no please let's never have that conversation again let's <laughs> actually let someone else deal with that shit and, and let us all move into something much more fun yeah mule what do you think about all of this I mean, I completely agree. There is a lot of parts in the design that we do that like the minute stuff that feels sometimes important, but are not really in that sense sometimes. And there's like more important things to do. But then it's like our judgment to what is important and what's not. So I kind of agree that maybe, yes, we need AI maybe to do those A-B tests. Or maybe like, I guess what I understand from you, uh, Jonas, is that it's more about standards, like getting to a standard that is agreed upon. But the thing is with design is that it's kind of counterintuitive in my opinion, because we designers are expected to help the business stand out. So if we are standard, how can you help the business stand out in that way? So 
I mean, eventually designers would be asked again to break the standard and then like do something bold and something different. But I agree when it comes to like having difference in like a small little thing or like, I don't know, button round and not round, et cetera. And then it's like, I mean, the word for me that comes to mind is kind of stupid to do that. I mean, I know it can be effective, but it doesn't like feel the best like usage of someone you bring to solve like big problems for your company. So I kind of agree with, with that aspect of it. It's just the other aspect is like, Expecting this like over standardization of design is for me counterintuitive to the role of design, which is, you know, the being different and kind of, I would tie this a little bit to the initial question of David is that, or maybe it's like a more question to you, David, like, do we really need uh, continuity between all touch points? Can't we like expect every touch point or every screen to be different, completely different from the other? especially if AI can do variation fast. So why not not have a standardized design system and like really approach its interface as its own space rather than have something that goes, you know, between every space. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, can, I can see that. And um, I think yes and no, like when it comes to the continuity between touch points. I think there are certain things that can be different when you talk about, you know, the way you interact with a voice assistant or a, or a wearable, for example. There are certain platform guidelines that you might want to follow, like how do you invoke voice assistant, uh, voice assistant, for example. Um, and then there's, you know, all the kind of the brand language and the brand po- properties and, and those kind of things. But I think there is value in um, having or following similar mental models for doing something across touch points because that brings the familiarity of, you know, how do I do this task on a phone versus how do I do this task on a watch versus how do I do this task on a, on a web platform, for example. So I think there should be some red thread across this, even, the, even if the expression of those touch points is quite different in terms of the maybe the visual layer, and uh, kind of connected to what Jonas was was mentioning uh, earlier about uh, the repetitive tasks and so on. I mean, today I feel like the AI agents and the you know the AI um, systems are quite narrow in nature. Like you have the image generation, and then you have text generation, and then there are some startups now that can do like Figma mockups and so on. But what I would expect and what I would hope is that there's going to be more connecting the dots between those multifaceted design process, right? If you think about, you know, finding a need and finding a problem and then moving towards, um, I don't know, prototyping or ideation or uh, whatever you might do, I would expect that in the near future, there's going to be AI systems that would be able to connect insights to... uh, you know, take those into ideation and take ideas into prototyping and the way the testing is just mentioned on us uh, and so on and so forth. So I, I do expect that that's kind of where we're, we're heading. Amazing. Great. Amazing question and great answers, everyone. So now we're just going to move on to Gerald's question. So the question that Gerald brought to the podcast is, as we ride the exciting wave of AI and design, 
how do we juggle the ethical balls of respecting copyrights and cherishing original design and creativity? In other words, how can we make AI our creative dance partner rather than leave the dancer overshadowing the human touch? Mm-hmm. So, Gerald, where did this question come from? Yeah. First of all, uh, my question was boring and I asked uh, ChatGPT to make it a bit fun. So this is the result uh, <laughs> of it. And then, um, yeah, where does this question come from? Uh, naturally, I've been trying to like train models with the brand assets and uh, and see what it spits out. And uh, yeah, as as I've been doing that, I've been wondering like, but is this really? Because you are doing it, of course, and everyone is trying to do that in order to get rid of a, of an extra um, or to save money. Let's say for companies to just save money. So, uh, but yeah, in that point when you already have a brand or when you want to uh, take a brand, at what point this is just like straight stealing from creatives that have built these brands or these brand images or this uh, or these techniques? And at what point this is just a creative process as every creative pr- process? Like, then my thought became like, what is learning? Like, how did I learn? I definitely stole like a lot. <laughs> Uh, especially like in my younger years, uh, I would take a design and just modify it a bit. And this was my design. And uh, there's an amazing book regarding that, like it's called Still Like an Artist. But yeah, at what point this is straight ahead uh, stealing someone's uh, like creativity? And at what point this is actually a being in in a quote, but uh, that it's actually learning and, and getting a creative process. And uh, yeah, this is uh, one of the struggles that I have because every time that I do something with the help of AI, I, I have this small guilt inside me that maybe this is not original and creative work. Maybe this is just like uh, some <laughs> some straight ahead stealing. So yeah, I am very curious to see where people stand on this and how do you guys feel like this can be regulated or stopped even. Maybe we just need to straight stop. I don't know. Yeah. A really interesting question, Gerald. I can see that everyone already is excited to answer. So <laughs> let's start with Jonas. Jonas, what's your take on this question? Yeah, I, I thought I thought maybe uh, Gerald, you stole something that we all wanted to talk about a little bit. And and I think just more than anything, just listening and then talking to you now re- makes me realize that even though I'm I'm try to be an evangelist that that we can use whatever AI tools we have, sort of a someone to bounce off ideas or or something to bounce off ideas, and and not everyone is lucky enough to sit in in big teams and and have someone to talk to every day and say, hey, what do you think of this? Is this uh, and and sort of that imposter syndrome comes over you like a wet blanket, and and let's not kid ourselves, like. Most of the things that we design now has already been done before. Like, look at a heroes section on a on a website. It's gonna be a big image to the right, uh, an H one and a, an intro and maybe a call to action. And yeah. so let's not kid ourselves. But I think more than anything, I, I I think like just for idea generation, for instance, like okay, the the sort of blank canvas that we sometimes look at and 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 fear that that but but in the 
the flip side of that is like, oh, I wish I could do something that is just, oh, just out there. I can just create something. And then we're giving this um, opportunity to do that. And I know this from doing it myself. Like, I, I want to, like, if I were to ask each every, every one of you, like, oh, if you could design something just for you, your own homepage, you know, the times when we used to do that, we, we looked at source code and be like, huh, is that how you do that? But I mean, I'm the worst customer ever if I were to design or order something uh, like, oh, Jonas, design something. I could spend years designing something and just do revision upon revision upon revision. So I think using AI as sort of like have some sort of consistency and, and someone to like bounce off ideas and like start generating ideas. But at a certain point, you're a designer and you need to start acting as a designer and act upon those ideas. Uh, I think that's really, really important. No, really interesting. So David, what do you want to say about this question? Yeah, I mean, again, very, very good question. And I think there's multiple dimensions. Uh, I think one you know, you can start with the ethical piece, right? What do you, what do you even consider original people were copying each other long before any emergence of uh, AI? And I also think there's a distinction to be made between, you know, an art piece or generating, I don't know, an image that you might use on a website, which today AI can kind of became super skilled at reproducing impressive results. I mean, you can put uh, different styles of, of images and so on. Um, and from an actual interface design perspective and, and from a design system angle, I would argue that the more commonality, the better, right? You're, you're ensuring you're following those existing or common mental models. Uh, and that, that could be a good thing, you know, in terms of what people are familiar with. So, I mean, I would argue like how much you can reinvent a, a drop down, you know, or a menu component. Um, but at the same time, I think there's the legal aspect of it. And one, something that comes to mind now is, um, and again, not necessarily ethical, but from a legal, legal perspective is to have AI raising maybe any flags where you're designing something that might infringe existing patents. Um, and that could be super useful. Imagine, uh, you know, a big, a big company spending years building a product and close to launch or, or maybe even worse. After you launch, you find out that you're infringing existing patents. So that at that point, the question is, you know, do you change your product or you postpone the launch or you kind of swallow a significant and unexpected cost that could have been avoided? And this is kind of a, a practical use case that I could, I could think of. Um, yeah. Really interesting, really good idea as well there. So, Rulo, what do you think about all of this? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, everybody, like, had different points and that, like, I find super, really, like, super interesting. I mean, I want to start with uh, what uh, Gerald said about, like, I, I read the, actually, I read the Still Like an Artist. And it actually changed my mind about what stealing was because initially I was like, oh, I thought I need to be like this fully creative person and bring something nobody done before. But still like an artist, there was this line where he said that sometimes creativity is like imagining these people that you know, if they work together, like, I don't know, let's say if Leonardo da Vinci worked with Picasso, what they would come up with. 
And then whatever you can come up with from combining their work is something new and creative. When it becomes like pure stealing is plagiarism, where you are like just literally copying something else's work and saying it's mine. For me, with like uh, with like language models, so it's limited to language models specifically, like talking about ChatGPT or or Midjourney, like your idea is maybe not unique, but the way you said it, it is unique, and the way you approach that idea and refine it is unique to you because if i don't know i say generate and like imagine an image of someone walking in the beach with the sunset everybody of us would think of a different person maybe a male maybe a female maybe tall maybe short maybe long hair maybe short hair and all of those small variations is what you continue and ask for as a person for your own like aesthetic aspect or like you know artistic view to it so it's it's not it it is almost yes everybody can do the same thing or like it's the ai doing it but it's nothing without you because when it's sitting on its own a major neo gpt is it's not creating anything but you actually make those creation so like written language has became your i don't know uh, if we can say it's like uh, it's your new brush uh, you are not doing like strokes of color you're doing strokes of text that would create something in the end and it's a tool of its own but i would say that like in my opinion actually if ai becomes the standard for creating images online it will only increase the value of very creative people who can do things the old way because i don't know like with the digital art when digital art started, like when there was digital artists, you would find classical artists saying, okay, digital art is not really art. I would like to, like, I love the smell of the paint and the touch of the stroke and seeing the shadow, like play light and playing with like, you know, the colors and stuff like that, which is true. And it's only something we started noticing after we've been exposed to too many digital artists out there. And we've seen digital art that when you go to a museum, you can actually like appreciate the strokes and how the light is hitting that painting, which is something that you maybe didn't notice before, because now you have something to compare it with that is maybe less in your opinion. I mean, it could be less in the sense of like the quality of it or the feel of it. Again, even digital art, it, in digital art would find something that is amazing and something that is like, you know, bad and you don't like appreciate it. So somehow, this my my like my idea here is that this will make our like uh, make humans or normal humans or basic people who maybe didn't have that much interest in art would have interest in art. Same goes for design, where now everybody is taking websites for granted. At a certain point, maybe when the websites become standardized, or maybe like we go beyond screens and get to a point where it's like a human like brain to in, like brain machine interfaces it you would start appreciating the time where you actually sit in front of a screen and then like you were working with an interface and even if you have like a human um, human machine interface you might be wanting it to actually do like a simulation of a screen that you use because you miss those days and then like people who actually do those design of interfaces would be more valued because it's people who now only do that and nobody else know how to do it anymore so i mean i, I know i'm kind of pushing it in speculative area here but that kind of what like makes me think that ultimately 
the human part it's there and it's will it will be there always the creativity of us humans it's not gonna die maybe the numbers of designers as we know them right now will you know will be less and maybe we would have different kind of designers as before product design or ux design was called the what was the word ergonomic design initially and then it became something else on multiple jobs it's the same in my opinion for you know for the future and yeah that's like uh actually how, how i see it uh, yeah no i really liked what you said there as well about how ai is the, it's like a paintbrush it's like a new tool to use i quite like how you phrase that that's really interesting so gerald now hearing everyone's answers and everyone's take what's your <laughs> final thoughts on this uh no final thoughts just like uh, happy that to see everyone's optimistic I was, I myself, I'm a really like, a, I used to see destruction first and then, and then get the happy angles. But yeah, no, it's, uh, I have exactly the same thoughts. I, in my head, it was like, okay, like the camera didn't kill the, the painter's job just because you could take a portrait. But on the other hand, I still, I'm, I've not concluded at least inside me like, uh, if it is or it's not stealing, but uh, as everything else we said, time time will say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But great question and great answers, everyone. So mm-hmm. let's go to our last question, which was posed by Jonas. So Jonas brought the question, let's talk a bit about design system maintenance and how might AI assist in maintaining and involving a design system? ensuring consistency across a large number of applications and web pages. So, Jonas, where did this question come from? Because everyone had stolen all the good questions before I jumped in on the in the document. But no, no. But uh, aside from that, I, I feel as if we've maybe touched upon this in the conversation uh, already, like whether design systems in, in a year or two years or three years going to be what we now perceive as design systems. But I would just... As I was just thinking about it right now, I was like, all right, so maybe AI is just that really, really good um, thing to bounce off things and and use as a sort of an assistant to, uh, like, I I jotted down a few things that I wanted to bring up. And that's like, what do we do with updates? And, And maybe we can use AI to be like, all right, you know what? no one is actually clicking on this element or or we need to update this element or as we talked about whether there's there's bias or something like okay so how can we make sure that icons or or things like that can it be automated updated or should that just be suggestions and and things like that? i just i wanted to hear the group like talk a little bit about like because i think more than anything what I what I what I know is that that AI is not going to steal our jobs, but it's going to be people that run AI and can tell it what to do or like what what do I want from you right now, you stupid little robot? So, so yeah, I, I I would I would be very interested in to hear what the group has to say about the maintenance of design systems. Yeah, amazing, great question. So Mule, I saw that you raised your hand. So what would you like to say about John Jonas's question? Yeah, uh, I mean, I like that aspect. It's like the realistic aspect. Of course, when we talk about the future and maybe like design system as we know them now would be obsolete, but for the moment or for the foreseeable future, at least it's still a thing and it's more of more in demand than 
it's not in demand. So like, you know, it's like part of the, the skills that every designer should know right now, how to build a design system. So <laughs> of course we cannot really expect it for, to die right now. I mean, and maybe in a few years, but for the moment, I agree with you that like, we should think about that. We should think about how can uh, this like AI help in the maintenance of design systems. But I was thinking now when you said that in my mind, I was thinking about this, like one case, like use case for that. For example, uh, you have the website, you have the design system, then you update something on the website on the go, which always happens uh, with like design work. So it's like you would update like multiple buttons and change the whole copy. And like in the way that you already changed the tone and the voice of the company. But then you go to the design system where it's supposed to be like the source of truth. And it's like, says a whole different story than what is happening in the actual website. And the problem there is that like, I have two feelings about it, mixed feelings. My mind is saying, okay, we can do maybe something like automated updates from website, live website to design system. But that also means that you might be updating something you're just testing or something that you don't really believe in. And then it will maybe become inconsistent in the design system eventually. And in the same time, I'm like, shouldn't we have a source of truth that we would go back to to argument? something around like when you get on this argument with your teammates and they say, oh no, actually this is what we want and not that that's what we want. And then you go, okay, we agreed on this. This is the design system. This is like the voice and tone of the company. This is the colors we want to use. And now you're using this. So it's like, it's a very tough thing because having a source of code that's not updated automatically and that we use as a way of like, you know, uh, aligning and continuously aligning would be better to be updated manually and with this like consciousness with it, like you are thoughtfully updating it, not just unthoughtfully or like specific moments where you're updating it. And also the idea of automatically updating is also nice. So it's like I'm kind of split about it. Maybe it's it could be very beneficial when it comes maybe like to style guides, automatically updating style guides. It's maybe it cannot be that harmful to the whole design system uh, as a whole, but uh, I don't know. I, honestly, I'm like in the split between that and that's where I'm, this like this small use case is making me like uh, think about this a little bit differently, uh, I think. But yeah, I, I would love to hear what uh, what uh, David you want to say because I see he's raising his hand. <laughs> yeah, definitely. David, what's, yeah. Your point, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I think there's two things that, that maybe have been mentioned. I think one is generating these new components or expanding across other modalities as another way of interaction. This where anything could play an important role. Um, you know, if you want to design a voice interaction where you want to check people check when the next train is coming. You know, at that point you take into account brand properties, brand, brand language, the form factor. The, the platform modality, how do you invoke the system and so on and so forth. The second one, which I think will uh, be important, I think, and, and this was uh, uh, mentioned as, as well before, is the updates at scale, right? So like once you mentioned A-B testing or taking into account insights or you maybe you go in the field and find something as a, as a researcher and then say, oh, we need to, we need to iterate on this. 
Now that updated scale might push all the way from like Figma and code and ready to be pushed maybe to production. It's also connecting to dots of all these updates that uh, can happen across the touch points and all the way to maybe production and you as a human you say, okay, this, this goes, uh, I'm okay with that. And I think as the, the more I think about AI, I think, you know, I think things that we humans find hard, the AI can do quite easily and quick and things that we find easy a lot of times or it's, you know, it's common sense for us, the AI really struggles. So. Um, I think there's a lot of struggle now with AI researchers you know, trying to infuse, for example, common sense in a, in a synthetic or a non-human brain. While for us, I don't know, going from point A to point B, we make a lot of decisions that are not even conscious, like getting up from this chair and going into the hall and putting my clothes on and getting outside. A lot of these actions I don't even think about. Um, so... I think at that, like common sense piece will for a while now will be still required from, from a human, um, you know, oversight, let's say when we use the AI as this like co-pilot, which, um, you know, a lot of times is a metaphor that we use. Yeah. Really good point. That's yes. all David. Yeah. Jonas, would you like to add to what David's just yeah, said? Yeah, yeah. I just, I just wanted to, to, to. If, if, if there's a a junior designer, if you're just getting into design right now, don't worry so much about AI. Like you, you learn to master this. Like you learn to ride a bike or whatever it is. What you should be wary about is and be very, be very much aware of managers telling you oh an ai could replace that because mm. as long as you control the ai and you control the output there's no manager that's going to tell you well and i can ask chat gpt to do that no they can't like scripting is easy that's why we're being flooded with marketing emails that are poorly translated and just complete junk and that can also be translated into design and it's going to be the same thing and it's going to kill your brand it's going to kill your company so if you're a designer just getting into this whatever metaphor you want to use for it just make sure that you know ai and what it can help you do don't worry about it just be very mindful about managers threatening or saying like oh why don't you just ask an ai to do that because it can't. It can't. Um, yeah, good point there, Jonas. So, Joel, what would you like to add to the question? Awesome. First of all, I want to say that it's a great question and one that I have never thought about because, yes, design systems need maintenance. And also, at some point, those design systems need to be transferred or translated to whatever fictional uh <laughs> platform or a system building tool we have discussed today. So, uh, yeah, the easy and quick answer to that, it's AI as well. Like, I don't know how it will translate. Maybe we will just be like, do the high level thing. Like these are the atoms, molecules and organisms. And you do, you go ahead and, <laughs> and maintain that from, from thereafter. But yeah, it's a real life problem. 
which I had never thought about. And this is a like, very good input. Thank you. Also, I agree with what you said now. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, thank you for mentioning it. That was about it. Like, I just uh, raised my hand because <laughs> because I felt like I wanted to point out that it was a great, great uh, question, but uh, it, needs, it needs some thought. No problem. It was a really good, great question. I can tell that Mule and David also want to add to this as well. So, Mule, what would you like to say? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say like how I see it right now, right now in like the current most used thing, which is like uh, large language models with choppy GPT, etc. It could be a very helpful tool for someone who's not like super familiar with like design systems and like it can help them figure out how to do certain things like style guides, etc. It's pretty good at that. Like all of those things that are already standardized, like uh, you know, I don't know, like how to give me a design. Like I, I did that with ChatGPT. I asked it to give me style guides for a design system with the uh, values in uh, in RIM. Uh, so it did that, and it's pretty good at doing that. It's nice, it's clean, and it's it's pretty good. We can do the same thing with updating it. Like let's say there is new rules of WCG, and then you can say, okay, let's min it all, all like run a routine checkups of like standards in the web and the new standards or the new like w for example wcg is like the biggest one out there for accessibility etc so it can automatically run the wind that if we have new screen sizes it can come up with a nice grid for that so you would maintain that like i don't, I don't know some new aspect ratio that would come up in the future i don't know if they think okay let's have circular screens <laughs> it could do that as well so Definitely, there is like part of it. I would just say, like, I mean, I mean, using the AI should be ultimately the decision of the designer or the person who, like, it's not, it shouldn't be like, you know, an expectation, as you said, uh, uh, Jonas, it shouldn't be like an expectation from the managers to say, okay, you should use that for your job. Ultimately, you're hiring me to a job so I can execute it based on the knowledge I have and the experience I accumulated as a human. So I shouldn't be expected to use the AI. It should be a choice, in my opinion, of using AI or not. Because sometimes, although things that can be done with the, uh, with the, the AI, uh, I find them fun to do myself and figure it out myself. And, you know, I don't want to take all the fun of my job because ultimately it might do that. A lot of it can be things I find fun to do. And instead of just giving it to an AI to do instead of me, then I would like to do that myself. It could be in maintenance itself. Somebody like there is a designer out there definitely who find it very fun to maintain his own work. So we shouldn't like take it out of him. So uh, from him, I mean, but uh, I, I agree. It's like, it's a, it's a matter of choice and like, you know, preferences in my opinion. Yeah. And David, what would you like to add to the conversation? Yeah, now uh, when Jonas started to uh, talk about advice for young designers that read or something. Um, so, yeah, use AI. Uh, it can greatly speed up your process, but still keep your common sense, question the output, <laughs> and also avoid being too narrow, like try to connect the dots. Like I would, at this, you know, if you're starting your career, I would not focus too much on like getting very good at like, I don't know, doing Figma stuff or things like that. That's going to be automated very, very soon. Well, that's really interesting. Amazing. So Jonas, obviously after hearing everyone's answers and everyone's take on the question, what are your final thoughts? 
I am very optimistic, and I I think first and foremost it, it is a design related uh, podcast that we're on. We're we're all here because we are creators. We like to create things. I started out wanting to draw comics. That that's all I wanted to do, and and today. If I tell my kids, like, oh, I wanted to draw comics, they're like, mm, oh, what now? Uh, so, and then I have to show them, like, this is animation, then it stems from this. And so, so that's what I wanted to do. So I think don't take away what is fun and what is creative and things that, that makes us get up in the morning. Take away all the mundane, repetitive tasks that we hate from the bottom of our hearts. So that's what we're going to use AI for. And, and, and I was a little bit concerned when, when we started talking about design systems. And I was like, oh, here we go. Everything's going to be the same. Everything's going to look the same. But, I mean, it's only a constraint if you allow it to be a constraint. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. So before we end the podcast, I'd like to just say thank you to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts and questions. They've been Moulet, who is a senior product designer and the founder of UIUXs.com. David, who is the head of UX creation at Volvo. Gerald, who is a design lead at Klarna. And Jonas, who is CMO at Bicido. So if you're hiring or looking for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Shania Olajukpa, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at shania.olajukpa at evolution-nordics.com or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash Nordics. Thank you again so much to all of our guests and thank you for listening. Hope you can join us next time.